Welcome back to the show and today we will be continuing our discussion of digital transformation that we started last time. And I hope as always you're having the absolute greatest day of your life. If not, by the time you're done this podcast, you will be having the absolute greatest day of your life. And still, if you're not having the greatest day of your life, something will happen today that will make you have the absolute greatest day of your life. Maybe you get a phone call, or maybe you talk to someone, or maybe you might get a acceptance letter in the mail for something. So I hope you're looking forward to that. Let's get on with the show. Like I said before, uh, I believe that the ability of governments to adapt to digitization will determine their survival. And only approximately 35% of South Asian political leaders are satisfied with digital transformation, which is, is actually kind of surprising because this is the kind of thing that's going to change the world. And if you don't catch on to it, you're going to get left behind. And this kind of concept is best exemplified by a quote from Mr. Klaus Schwab. And he says, as the physical, digital, and biological worlds continue to converge, new technologies and platforms will increasingly enable citizens to engage with governments, voice their opinions, coordinate their efforts, and even circumvent the supervision of public authority. As the role that digital transformation plays in our world grows larger every single second of the day, it will eventually become near impossible for the government to stop regular individuals from playing a larger, more significant role in politics. So before you had, okay, let's go back to the beginning of America, right? So you got the American Revolution, you got George Washington, you got all these good guys, right? As America progressed from that stage onward, the major control of all news and media was through the newspaper. Like these, these media people were literally like gatekeepers to the news. If they said something, it was right. If they said something and it was wrong, it's too bad. That would have been the news. So they had the power of determining what was wrong and what was right. And that power to determine what was happening really put them up there. They were just as powerful as any king in any corrupt dictator, military dictatorship country. And now with the emergence of digital transformation, regular citizens can record videos. They can post different videos, social media. They can post their opinions. They can organize groups. They can petition. The advantages brought about by digital transformation literally allow the people to become more powerful than the government. Because now what you see is that News anchors like CNN, The Atlantic, these kind of newspapers and articles and news shows, they are not the gatekeepers anymore. Although they were the gatekeepers before, now with the burns of several companies like you know Facebook or Amazon or, or Twitter or, or LinkedIn or anything, these companies allow for people to interact with each other and for news to spread really fast and for, and for people to share ideas and knowledge. And this collaboration, this digital collaboration is what allows the average everyday citizen to be so much more effective in combating the government and creating their own news or creating their most reliable version of the news as opposed to accepting what the media says blindly. And it should also be noted that digital transformation is being impeded within government organizations because of this lack of faith in digital transformation. Only approximately 15% of South Asian political leaders have faith in their organization to utilize digital transformation effectively. And this opinion obviously stems from a disbelief in the power of digital transformation itself. If only 15% of your country, country's leaders, believe that technology is good, there's something wrong with your country. Because, let's be honest, if, if you can't adapt to technology, then, then what are you doing, right? Like, it doesn't make any sense. If... If you want to hope to survive and only 15% of your government's leaders want to uh, adapt to the latest trend and survive, 
then you might as well just shut down your country because you're not going to survive. A good example of this was actually 2014 India election in which Narendra Modi was elected prime minister. Um, essentially, what went on in there was that you can you can separate everything into your public sphere and private sphere in the whole stratosphere of the election, of the hierarchy of people, right? The public sphere can be described as a social organization. And overall, digital media has allowed for a process of a, a sort of democratization of access to this political uh, public sphere. Like I said before, this gatekeeper function of journalists and media editors is significantly weakened as a lot more of them are now able to publish different types of content. They can express their opinions and they can uh, they can practice their freedom of speech in so many different ways now. And new forms of mobilizations and participation are actually being created through the use of digital media. This very process of democratization has essentially allowed for a a complete overturn of the existing power structure that this public sphere is based on. New gatekeepers have emerged and the power of the government to set the future and the agenda of the country is no longer controlled solely by the government and the media. It's now more in the hands of the people because now the people can share the news. They can decide what they want to do by petitioning, for example, or collaborating or organizing. They can do whatever they want now. And another very political aspect of digital transformation is the effect it has on gender and gender equality or women's rights. So and so it became quite apparent to me that the immensely beneficial effects of the digital transformation were widespread and continuing to expand quite a lot. Because for example, mobile connectivity has actually been proven to empower women by making them safer and more able to access life-changing information. Gender disparity was obviously a very much a legitimate concern for the city as the number of men with access to mobile technology was significant. So and I significantly, I mean significantly, significantly, significantly greater than the amount of women with access to technology. Digitization was, you know, was actually reducing this gender inequality. It was it was leveling the field between men and women in terms of access to this technology. Uh, di- essentially, digital transformation was allowing for a women's rights initiative that has brought high-tech mobile devices to over 2 million women. And then last but not least, you got digital transformation and its impacts on the societal sphere of South Asia. And due to technological limitations, Bangladesh has actually been limited to primarily mobile-based connectivity. Uh, but as of recent, however, they are beginning to implement, implement some new technologies such as the Internet of Things and artificial intelligence. But Bangladesh's mobile market has grown considerably over the past seven years as the percentage of the Bangladesh population that is a mobile internet subscriber has skyrocketed from 10% to nearly 41%. Mobile connectivity via digital transformation allows access to voice-based learning, which enables electronic learning, which can really allow education providers access to digital literacy content. Furthermore, this mobile connectivity will enable teachers to better exchange information and instruct their pupils. For instance, digital transformation has had a significant positive impact upon Bangladesh, as is demonstrated by Roby Axiata Limited. They utilize digitization by partnering with a free online learning platform known as 10-Minute School, which provides free practice exams and online courses for international exams, such as the ACT, the GRE, the SAT, and the GMAT. And actually, upon further investigation, I it, it became known to me that Roby's partnership with 10-Minute School attracted over 400,000 students via Facebook Live. Aside, aside from that, the partnership has resulted in approximately 
2,000 educational videos. That's a lot of videos. And it has facilitated the creation of other educational programs, namely the Roby Classroom and the Roby Shikarti Service, both of which are promising educational programs, which can allow for kids to become smarter, uh, become and allow for, in the future, a more skilled labor workforce, which can overall lead to economic growth for the country. Fun fact of the day, uh, the people of Bangladesh actually never smile. They rarely smile. This is because they think that smiling is a form of immaturity. Can you imagine that? Thinking that smiling is a form of immaturity, and for that reason, you just never smile. Thanks for watching the show. See ya. It's been super fun learning with you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me. Join me next week as we explore another part of the vast, mysterious lands of South Asia. I'm looking forward to exploring something new that you've never heard about next week. Talk soon.